0: This is the human side of healthcare, where we explore all aspects of today's ever-changing healthcare environment. Brought to you by the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council and featuring CEO Stephen Love with co-host Thomas Miller. Now let's make healthcare human again.
1: Welcome to the human side of healthcare. Delighted you're with us today. You know, we're going to talk about a topic today that deals with skin disorders. And we're delighted that we've got Dr. Shadi Damapur with us today. She's a board certified dermatologist at North Dallas Dermatology Associates. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: You know, skin care is so important, and we certainly don't want skin cancers. Why is it important to think about protecting yourself year-round?
2: That's a great question, and it's one that I get from my patients every day. You know, I think that most people associate sun protection and sunscreen with summer and going to the beach. And when I ask my patients, are you wearing sunscreen every day, they say, yeah, when I'm outside. Uh, But what people don't realize is that the goal is to reduce cumulative sun damage. And so I always tell my patient that every bit counts. That short trip you're taking to the grocery store includes minutes outside in the sun. When you're driving in your car, you're getting UV rays penetrating through the window. So it's really important to lather up anytime you're leaving home.
1: You know, we're coming up on spring break. People are going to want to go to the beach. They're going to want to go skiing. We've got to get into the protection mode, correct?
2: Right. So the best way to protect yourself is by using a broad-spectrum sunscreen. And what that means is that it protects from both types of UV rays. The best sunscreens contain zinc or titanium, which are physical blockers. And it's important to know that really no sunscreen is waterproof. So if you're going to jump in the water, you have to reapply right when you come out of the water. Uh, For those going skiing, we see tons and tons of sunburns from skiing because uh, the sun reflects off the snow and it's actually significantly stronger. So, you know, the areas that are covered are you know well covered because it's so cold but make sure you protect your face your ears your hands from the sun because we see tons of sunburns from skiing
1: you know we talk about skin disorders on spring break but one of the most serious is melanoma and i think about a hundred and six thousand people annually are diagnosed with melanoma can you explain to our listeners what this is and how serious it is
2: Of course. Um, There are several types of skin cancer, but melanoma is by far the most serious one. And I won't bog you down in, you know, details of science, but melanoma is a cancer of melanocytes, which are cells in our skin that produce pigment. And it's dangerous because of its ability to spread to other organs very quickly if left untreated. However, I want to stress that it's very preventable by protecting your skin from the sun and monitoring your skin for irregular lesions. So one way that you can monitor yourself is by following the A, B, C, D, E of melanoma. So let me go through this. So A is for asymmetry. Um, If you were to take a piece of paper and fold it in half and the sides don't match up, That's an asymmetric mole and something that should be evaluated. B stands for border and many melanomas have an uneven border as opposed to a normal looking mole, which has a smooth, very regular shape. Uh, C stands for color, and multiple colors are a red flag. So these can include red, blue, pink in addition to the brown and black that is most commonly associated with melanoma. D is for diameter, and honestly, this is probably the least important because you can have tiny melanomas um, and you can have larger melanomas. But E, is for evolving. And I find this to be the most important because really any mole that is changing in size, shape, symptom, if it starts itching, if it's bleeding, that definitely warrants attention by a dermatologist.
1: Let me ask you this. Are men or women more affected by melanoma?
2: You know, the statistics show that there are more cases of melanoma in men, and actually not only are men more likely to develop melanoma, but they are more likely to die from it than women of the same age. And I think that there are several reasons for that statistic. In general, we know that men tend not to keep up as well with healthcare care maintenance uh, while women are more compliant with doctor's visits. For example, my husband, who's a doctor, won't see a doctor unless I make an appointment for him. But there are also differences in men's skin that makes them more susceptible. So they have thicker skin with less fat underneath, and that makes them more likely to be damaged by the sun's rays. And then I think also sun protection is a big reason why melanoma strikes men harder. Uh, We've seen studies that show that men are less informed about skin cancer and therefore, of course, less likely to protect their skin from the sun. Uh, And the fact that women wear sunscreen more often is also in part because women use daily makeup and other cosmetics that contain sunscreen in them.
1: You mentioned melanoma is more predominant in men. What about other demographics?
2: So all types of skin cancer are more common in fair-skinned individuals. And this is due to a lack of melanin or pigment in the skin, which is protective against harmful UV rays. However, everyone can be affected by skin cancer. And it's important to note that in skin of color, melanomas are more likely to occur in less obvious locations. So this can include the palms, the soles, the nails, inside the mouth. And because these areas are less frequently examined diagnosis is often delayed and prognosis is worse. So don't forget to include these areas in your self-skin checks.
1: You know, we talked about melanoma. I'm going to shift gears a little bit for our listeners here. What are some of the other common skin cancers? How do you treat them and are they curable?
2: So that's a great question. Um, One in five Americans will develop skin cancer by the age of 70. So that makes skin cancer the most common cancer worldwide. And while melanoma is the most serious, it is not the most common. The most common types are called basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma. And 90% of these two cancers are associated with UV radiation from the sun. And they're considered a curable disease with cure rates that are very high if they're detected early and appropriately treated. And they actually present differently than melanoma. So if you're looking at your skin to detect a basal cell carcinoma, these typically present as a small pink or skin colored bump that is usually confused with a pimple. Um, And they can bleed often, but they don't go away. Squamous cell carcinomas usually appear as a rough or warty-looking bump, and as a rule of thumb, the appearance of a new growth or a sore that doesn't heal should be evaluated. And just, you know, going back to melanoma, which, as we mentioned, is the most aggressive skin cancer, early detection is the best predictor of prognosis, and again, it is very treatable if it's caught early.
3: We're listening to Dr. Shadi Damanpour. She's a board certified dermatologist at North Dallas Dermatology Associates. It's our biggest organ in our body, so let's take care of it well. More on how to do that next on the human side of healthcare.
0: This is the human side of healthcare, where we feature healthcare's hottest topics and what our North Texas area hospitals are doing to make healthcare human again.
3: Welcome back. We're talking about how to take care of the biggest organ in our body with Dr. Shadi Damanpour, a board-certified dermatologist at North Dallas Dermatology Associates. Steve?
1: You know, if you have this type of cancer, non-melanoma, I've heard there's a surgery called Mohs surgery. Can you explain to our listeners what that is?
2: Definitely. Historically, Mohs surgery is actually the treatment of choice for basal and squamous cell carcinomas. Um, And it's a specialized technique that's reserved for when these skin cancers are located on the face, hands, or other sensitive areas. And the procedure is done in stages while the patient waits. And this allows for removal of all the cancer cells while sparing healthy tissue, and it leaves the smallest possible scar in those sensitive locations. Um, now, more recently, Mohs surgery has been implemented in the treatment of early melanomas, um, melanoma in situs, which are uh, melanomas that haven't invaded the top layer of the skin. However, for deeper melanomas, they're still treated by a larger excision.
1: So let me ask you, if someone is doing a self-examination and they notice a lesion, and let's say it's a pigmented lesion, is that a sign they could have skin cancer?
2: That's a good question. And usually when we talk about pigmented lesions, what we're referring to are moles, what we commonly call moles. Um, So we briefly reviewed that melanocytes are the pigment-producing cells in the skin, and they create melanin, which gives the skin its color, and we refer to lesions that contain melanin as pigmented lesions. So this can include other spots like freckles or sunspots, um, and most of these are benign and not indicative of skin cancer. However, it can be, you know, very subtle and difficult to tell the difference between a freckle and a mole, so it's always best to see a dermatologist if you notice a new lesion.
1: You know, many times we get sunburn at the beach, even when we're out playing as kids. Does that mean you could get skin cancer later in life?
2: Now, this is not meant to scare you, but UV radiation is a proven carcinogen, so repeated sunburns do raise the risk of skin cancer. And as I mentioned earlier, sun damage is cumulative, so the risk does increase over time. It's been shown that having five or more sunburns doubles the risk of melanoma. But as with most medical conditions, a genetic predisposition and environmental exposures in combination will lead to a skin cancer. For example, not every smoker will develop lung cancer. Similarly, not every sun worshiper will develop skin cancer if they have luck and genetics on their side. But in my opinion, it's not worth playing your odds. You
1: know, if I listen to us out there that say, well, you know, I'm not going to go out in the sun. I'm going to go to a tanning salon and I'm going to use a tanning bed. I'd love to know your thoughts Related to tanning beds.
2: That makes a dermatologist cringe. (laughs) Um, You know that indoor tanning devices emit UV radiation that's 10 to 15 times higher than the sun at its peak intensity. Um, So the, the fact that tanning beds still exist is very upsetting to dermatologists. And there are several countries that have actually banned indoor tanning altogether, Um, And many have banned it for those younger than 18. That's because more people can develop skin cancer because of indoor tanning than develop lung cancer because of smoking.
1: Can you repeat that again? I want our listeners to hear that. Do you mind repeating that one more time?
2: Of course. More people develop skin cancer because of indoor tanning than develop lung cancer because of smoking.
1: That is amazing. I know. So for the average person, how often should they see a dermatologist?
2: That's a great question, and it varies based on risk. Um, So I would recommend seeing a dermatologist, if you haven't already, for a baseline screening. And that means the dermatologist will look at you from head to toe and assess based on your skin type, your family history, Uh, your exposure to sunburns and tanning beds, if you need an annual skin check, if you need a skin check every few years, or if you need more frequent skin checks, like every three to six months. Once they have that baseline assessment, they can let you know how frequently you would need to be
0: screened.
1: You know, once you've established your baseline, things change, moles may grow. Are those the kind of things that can happen?
2: Yes, that could definitely happen. And that is called monitoring. If we're concerned about a mole, it will likely be biopsied on the day of the visit. However, if a mole doesn't look like it's diagnostically a melanoma, then sometimes we'll monitor them, like you said, we'll take a photo and a measurement And have the patient come back in three to six months to reevaluate if there has been any change. Um, And that's usually a good amount of time where we're able to assess if there has been. And if there hasn't, then we might continue to monitor it. Um, People who have many, many moles sometimes actually do something called total body photography, where they get photos taken of their body so that when they come in, we're able to compare what we're seeing in person to photos, and then we can also assess for change that way. Because as we mentioned, change is the most important risk factor for a melanoma.
1: Is melanoma genetic?
2: Yes, it does indicate that they're at higher risk, and so they would probably be in the category where we would screen them more frequently for skin cancer.
1: You know, Dr. Shadi, we've talked a lot about sunscreen is there any type of clothing you can wear to also protect yourself
2: yes and that's a great question and as a new mom i find that it's you know my savior because trying to apply sunscreen to yourself your husband and a squirming child is no easy task um, so there are several great companies that make what we call UPF clothing. And this has SPF of 50 in it. They make shirts and pants, long sleeves, and they're actually, you know, quite fashionable. And it's easier than applying, reapplying sunscreen every few hours, like we were mentioning before. So as long as you're wearing this in the areas that are covered, if you have a long sleeve UPF shirt, and a hat that protects your ears and neck then you know you only have to apply sunscreen to your face hands and other exposed body parts
1: you know i've asked you a lot of questions any final messages for our listeners
2: the most important thing that i feel i cannot stress enough is that early detection saves lives So when detected early, the five-year survival for melanoma, which is the most aggressive skin cancer, is 99%. So I encourage you to see your local board-certified dermatologist for your routine skin exams and to make sun protection a daily part of your routine. So put your sunscreen next to your toothbrush right after you brush your teeth, apply your sunscreen, and then come see us.
3: Now... I know that people are shifting seasons and they think, oh, people might be listening to this and say, oh, I need to go grab some sunscreen and put it in my pack or my bag. And they go dig through a cabinet and they find an old tube of sunscreen that looks like a tube of toothpaste. It's squeezed in the middle. It's been used. But (laughs) Lord only knows how old it is, right? So what about the age? How long is sunscreen good for?
2: So they actually have expiration dates on the bottle. So as long as it's not expired, it's good. You should be using sunscreen enough that you don't have expired bottles at home (laughs) (laughs) because they're not that big. And it really takes more sunscreen than you think to cover your whole body. So for a beach vacation, you should grab a couple and you should finish all of them while you're there.
3: All right. Point (laughs) taken and very good advice. All right, let me ask you this. You mentioned the five-year survival with melanoma. Years ago, if a lady got a diagnosis of breast cancer, it was a very serious diagnosis. Today, it may be, but it also may not be, and so has developed with a number of other cancers, fortunately. How have we progressed in the treatment of skin cancers once they are detected?
2: You know, equally as well, we've done, there have been tremendous advances in the diagnosis and treatment of skin cancers. The basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers, like I said, are almost 99% cured uh, when treated early. For melanomas, you know, ten years ago, if you were diagnosed with metastatic melanoma, it it could be a death sentence. Uh, but today, we have so many different treatments, so many targeted therapies and uh, immunotherapies, where we activate the immune system to fight the melanoma that people can live for many, many years with metastatic melanoma.
3: We've been listening to great information on caring for our skin to prevent cancer and other skin diseases with Dr. Shadi Damanpour of North Dallas Dermatology Associates. Now, when we come back, we're going to move from our skin to our teeth and tell you how clean teeth can save you from a heart attack next on the human side of healthcare.
0: Welcome back to The Human Side of Healthcare, where we explore how to take better care of your health so you can live a happier, healthier life with DFW Hospital Council CEO, Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller.
1: Welcome to The Human Side of Healthcare. Delighted you're with us today. You know, today we're going to talk about something so important in your overall health. We're going to talk about good dental care. And we're delighted we've got with us Dr. Tanya Fuquay, who is very active in many of the dental associations in Tarrant County, in the state of Texas, does great work in Fort Worth, and she serves the dental needs of low-income children in the community through Cook Children's not-for-profit dental program, Save a Smile. Dr. Fuquay. Welcome to the show.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share the fact that uh, oral health is a part of our overall health, so thank you for having me.
1: You know, to set the stage for our listeners, I know it's important for them to understand this. Why is dental health so important to our overall health?
4: Well, I'm going to speak Definitely on the, on the behalf of, of the kind of children, but really everything I'm going to mention really impacts all of us. You know, for lack of better words, our mouth is, is the opening to the rest of our body, right? Um, oral health is an integral part of our overall health. You know, dental care, dental disease is one of the most preventable diseases that's out there that's a part of our mankind and it can be prevented I just simple tooth brushing, getting professional dental checkups and cleanings, you know, controlling the amount of sugar that we intake by what we eat or drink. So it, it's just really important to be proactive with our dental care and then reactive once something happens, right? Prevention is key. So I can say that that's definitely uh, one thing to, to have as a key reminder Um, out there for oral health. Such simple things, we can help our body to be as healthy as it can be. So starting early is key with children. It's really, really important.
1: What are your thoughts related to parents that say, you know, I'm not going to care that much about baby teeth, but I'm really going to focus on the permanent teeth of my children?
4: Oh my goodness. That is such a great question. And you're exactly right. We hear that all the time. We get asked all the time, aren't they just baby teeth? They're going to fall out, right? Well, baby teeth are the precursors to what's going to happen with that child's oral health. Baby teeth help babies to chew, uh, to, to get their proper nutrition. It helps them to learn to speak and their speech development Um, If the baby teeth are lost too early, they may speak with a lisp because they don't have those front teeth for that tongue to touch to learn to pronunciate words correctly. It helps contribute to the facial form to create our smile. Uh, It maintains our baby teeth, maintains space, so the permanent teeth know where to come in and that they have guidance. The baby teeth actually guide the permanent teeth to know where to come in And, of course, if baby teeth are decayed or they have cavities and they're in pain, it impacts their ability to learn, to focus, to participate in activities or succeed in school or whatever they do in life. I don't know about you all, but if anyone's ever had a toothache or even just a headache, think about how that impacts how you feel overall. And think about that child who doesn't even realize they're in pain and it's created from a tooth that's hurting. They just know they don't feel good or feel right. So it is really important. That's so a really great question.
1: You know, you, you raise such an excellent point. When I talk to people, especially that focus in the social drivers of health or the social determinants of health, they say exactly what you said. If a child is at school and their teeth hurt, they're not going to learn. It's going to impact their education. So thank you for pointing that out. But when it does come to children, for our listeners to understand, what are some of the other risks of poor dental health that poses to an otherwise healthy child?
4: That's another great question and point. Um, you know, tooth decay, I'll just, I'll have to say a couple little statistics to kind of put it in perspective. Tooth decay is the most common chronic childhood disease. That is not what people think about. They don't think that teeth are up there on the disease process in children. Tooth decay is actually five times more common than asthma, but everybody knows about asthma, or they at least understand it to a certain degree. And tooth decay is actually a bacterial infection. That's actually bacteria that decides to go out of control and get crazy and start eating away at the tooth structure. So a cavity is not just a cavity. It's, it's bacteria in there eating away at your tooth. And if it's allowed to get out of control and the body's not handling it, then it becomes an abscess. And really the tooth is infected. So if we have cavities and we have all that bacteria in our mouth, that triggers and opens up our immune system, right? Where our body's trying to fight off that bacteria. Well, if our body's trying to fight off that bacteria, that basic, what people think's a basic cavity, then guess what? If they get a cold or they get something else basic, their immune system's already working in one area and they may not work as effectively to fight off that cold or that strep or that flu or that anything else they may get. So... Um, again, I can't express enough that it's really important to keep that type of bacteria that grows in our mouth every day. It's there every day in all of us, but we have to keep it in check and under control and not feed it with all that sugar. (laughs) So that's a really good question on how that can really impact a child or anyone's overall health.
1: You know, you mentioned something in your answer that I just want to repeat for our listeners, and that's the most chronic childhood disease is tooth decay. That is, that is something most people probably just don't know.
4: No, no, they don't. They really don't. And it's so preventable with basic tools and basic day-to-day hygiene and going for a checkup and cleaning twice a year. You know, prevention is key like most anything else. And early detection is always better.
1: What we as lay people may not understand, this can impact cardiovascular systems, even in our kids.
4: Very, very true. And um, things that are the bacteria that's floating around in our mouths can most definitely impact our medical health, what people think of as medically, like you just mentioned, their heart. Uh, what if they have, uh, you know, diabetes? Um, They have some other uh, medical condition that's requiring them to maybe take lots of medications. Even taking medications can impact what's happening in the mouth because for kids especially, they usually take medications in a syrupy, you know, a liquid format because they can't swallow pills maybe yet. And that can impact and just sit around in the mouth. Asthmatics tend to have, or patients with lots of allergies, they're, Saliva content is different, which then impacts the oral cavity. But you definitely don't want the bacteria growing in the body that, again, doesn't just stay in the mouth. Every time we swallow, we're swallowing some of that bacteria. And it's floating around in the bloodstream. And if you have an area in your body that, like your heart, or have a cardiovascular issue, that bacteria is going to go straight to where that is it's, it's going to go where your body's most susceptible, so it is really crucial to make sure um, that you know it can go both ways. What happens in the mouth can impact your medical your overall health, but what happens with you medically can actually also impact your oral cavity and make things um, a problem like I mentioned the medications. Or you don't have the salivary flow that you need because medications are decreasing that, or something. So they work so hand in hand, and we have to look at both.
1: You know, I mentioned when I introduced you that you help serve the dental needs of low income children uh, through the program that Cook Children's has, Save a Smile. Can you explain to our listeners what the Save a Smile program is? and how it impacts the lives of these low-income children.
4: Oh, I would love to. Thanks for asking about Save a Smile. Um, This program was started in, in 2003 when Cook Children's just really said, we need to get on board and do something about oral health because too many children were ending up in the emergency department because of dental pain or swollen faces. So Save a Smile was created in 2003 to prevent that kind of a grassroots innovative type program where we go into the school system and actually provide dental screenings free of charge by a licensed dental provider, a dentist in our community that volunteers their time to screen these children and identify these children that have severe level of of dental disease and then We have a social service component that connects those children to private practicing dentists in the community that provide free dental care. We're going into Title I schools. So these are kids that are at risk already with all kinds of things. And dental becomes very low on the priority list. So with our social service component, with our master's level clinical social worker, we go in and find these children who need us and then connect them to a dental provider to provide comprehensive care, meaning anything and everything they need to get them healthy and happy and smiling again. And it's a huge collaborative effort within our community with our school districts, our dentists in our community and Cook Children saying this is vital to the health of our children in our community.
3: This is Tanya Fuque. She is a dentist who also works with Cook Children's not-for-profit dental program called Save a Smile. A wealth of information. When we come back, we're going to tie your teeth and your heart together for good health. Stay with us on the human side of healthcare.
1: This pre-recorded program is paid for by the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital
3: Council
0: covering the healthcare topics that matter most to North Texas. This is The Human Side of Healthcare with DFW Hospital Council CEO Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller.
3: Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Tanya Fuquay, who is a dentist in Southlake and also works with Cook Children's in the Save a Smile program, serving the dental needs of low-income children in our community. She also has some great information for us adults as well. Steve?
1: You know, as you work with these children in this great program you're doing, let's say you found a child with a severe overbite. Do you actually help with orthodontic work?
4: Yes, sir, we do. And that that is part of what I mean when we talk about comprehensive care, comprehensive in scope. So it doesn't matter if this child, whatever their needs are, I mean, God forbid, we have found, unfortunately, children who have had, you know, lesions in their mouth and and, um, benign tumors, Um, you know, this is a vulnerable population. And as you know, any vulnerable population, they just have an increased risk of all kinds of Healthcare needs, right? Dental is no different, and it's probably higher up there. And so, if they have malformation, they can't speak, right? Super overcrowding, um, deep overbites, where it's really hampering their function, right? This is not just about the health, but the function, long term stability of this child to, to function and have their, their teeth and their jaw and be able to smile and eat um, and talk appropriately. Not having the teeth in the right area can definitely cause a problem uh, for for speech impediments and stuff. So that is definitely something we look at. And we have all specialties involved with Save a Smile from our general dentist, our pediatric dentist, oral surgeons, orthodontist, prosthodontist, endodontist. I mean, we've got them all on board and they really treat these children like any other child that would come in their practice and their private practice and take care of any and all needs they have.
1: That is just tremendous. You're giving back so much to our community. Why are you so passionate about children's dental health?
4: Oh my goodness. I wish I could really come up with the perfect definition. I don't know. I can't really say exactly why, but I will say a smile is such a powerful thing. It's about the impact that it has on their overall health, the impact their teeth and their smile have on their self-esteem, their confidence, how someone feels about their self, their mental health. No matter what age, you're impacted by that smile. That's what people see when they look at you. Your smile is part of your identity. So I feel like I'm doing so much more as a dentist than just fixing teeth, drilling and filling. I'm impacting someone's life. So I think that is what drives me and gets me excited. And what, what is more exciting than helping a child smile? I mean, you can't help not smile yourself when you're looking at a child and they're smiling or they're giggling and their eyes are lit up. I mean, there's nothing better than that. So I think in a nutshell, I guess that's what really drives me and gets me so passionate about oral health.
1: What a great answer. You really touched on it when you said you're truly impacting the lives of children. And we can't thank you enough. You've done a fantastic job. I'm going to stop because Thomas always has really good questions, and I'm sure he wants to ask you a few as well.
3: Yeah, I've got a couple I think that we could uh, play with here. So let me ask you this Uh, diet and and what happens in our mouth. Would you just go through kind of the major things that we all eat, kids do, and then tell us how they affect our teeth? So sugar and carbs, vegetables, and then the meat department, meat, fish, poultry and fruit. How do all of those impact our dental health if we have a predominant diet of those?
4: Well, that's a really great question, Thomas. You know, people don't always, they they first of all think about food and think of body, how it affects your body. Well, your teeth are part of your body, and everything we eat and drink does impact our body and our teeth. So one of the biggest things that we see that children are doing, sugar. It's not just candy. People think, well, that's the problem, but People forget about all that liquid sugar, juices, natural apple juice. People think, well, that's apples, that's a fruit. But apple juice and 100% sugar or any fruit that has natural sugar in it, too much of it, that's natural sugar. So even like a diabetic has to be very careful with how many fruits they're eating and which kinds because it can impact their sugar levels. And that's the same with teeth. Gatorades, Powerades, our sports drinks, the monsters, the energy drinks, coffee, children are now drinking, love the Starbucks and the coffee drinks, and all of those have a lot of sugar in them. We could see kids that I've seen them their whole life, and they've never had a cavity. They go off to college, and all of a sudden, their diet changes completely. They're eating and drinking things that, you know, maybe mom or dad didn't let them do at home or didn't they didn't have access now they're needing energy drinks and and they're needing caffeine and they're drinking those things and they're staying up later and then falling asleep and not brushing or cleaning and then you mentioned carbohydrates carbohydrates break down to sugar so we all love bread and we don't maybe think well we think bread is maybe not that healthy but it breaks down to sugar carbohydrates crackers and our goldfish that we give our kids and pretzels those things break down to sugars and like I already mentioned, fruits and vegetables always best selection. Um, you know, as far as putting in a good balance in our diet, fruits and vegetables are great for our, our teeth as well as our body. Um, but getting protein and also getting that like the milk and the calcium, that's also great for the building of the of, of the teeth and the protein uh, for the strength and the health. Um, protein even too for the for the gum tissues. So it's not just teeth, but you know, there's gum tissues and bone that support those teeth that are in your mouth and the different good balanced meal that we always ask for our body. Same thing to impact the health and the strength of our teeth and our enamel.
3: That's a great, bone. great answer. Something that I came about, we're talking about kids here as well. Uh, when I was a teenager or maybe into my 20s, the dentist said that I'd been over brushing and has been eroding my gums. Can you tell us about that?
4: Yes. Wow. That is something that we see all the time. And it's really you can call it over brushing or you really it's more appropriately known as you're not brushing correctly, right? So there is a right and wrong way to brush. And that's part of the big importance of going to a dentist early and starting the good habits and learning how to do things correctly. So brushing should be done in a circular motion. You should always be using a soft, bristled toothbrush with an appropriate size head. Everybody thinks that the bigger the head, the more surface area they're getting. But it needs to be appropriate for everybody's mouth because everyone's mouth size and teeth size are different. So some people may require a much smaller head so that it can get everywhere in the mouth. Um, So appropriate size toothbrush, soft bristles and circular motion at a 45-degree angle, meaning you don't want to scrub back and forth and you don't want to go up and down. Those motions over and over and over cause us to get what is known as receding gum line, meaning you literally brush the gums away. And our body is remarkable about healing itself, but that is one thing that it will not recreate. It will not produce new gum tissue that you've brushed away over time and over time so brushing correctly will really prevent from from damage to the gum tissues and then to the tooth because then the roots exposed and the root is not meant to be shown to the real world it's Ouch. supposed to be covered up with gum <laughs> tissue yes so it can be it can become very sensitive um to have those the root exposed
3: that's Dr. Tanya Fuquay, one of the partners at Fuquay Advanced Dental in Southlake, and also working with Cook Children's on this very important Save a Smile program. Steve, we're right up the middle on that one, aren't we? The human side of healthcare.
1: Absolutely. We have definitely touched on the human side of health care today. We want to thank our listeners for being here. A quick COVID update. Things are looking better. So let's continue to wear those masks and we're going to get through this and put COVID in the rearview mirror. Join us next Sunday for the human side of healthcare.